behind-the-scenes look at some of your favorite records, the stories behind the songwriting as well as the recording circumstances, broken down for you and explained by a key player in the album's creation, track by track, memory by memory, this is Albums Unleashed. No more monkey business. It's time for the Decibel Geek Podcast. Welcome back once again. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. What is up, my man? Doing better than you. You got a stuttering problem there. Monkey business. I'll never forget that VHS, man. Oh, say can you scream and all that, how cool that was, man. That stuff was very formative in my my early development. My teenage years kind of made me who I am. So it's that's that's the that's what's at fault. Well, that and my my uncle Bruce, and my aunt Pam letting me listen to Kiss as an infant. We got to get Uncle Bruce on the show one of these days. Definitely, he's been I would part love of so that. many stories that we've we've had. I would love to have sit down and interview my uncle Bruce. That'd be fantastic. So uh, yeah, we the wait is over. We teased it last week. This yeah. is a, another albums unleashed. And albums this, unleashed. This week is one that was right at the near the top of the list when we put this idea together. Oh yeah, most definitely. We talked about wanting to do the one with John Karabi for the Motley Crue yep. '94, which we accomplished. We that, did that. Yeah, that was fun. Goal check. Yep. And then we said, what other ones would we like to do? And the kind of the criteria is, is that, you know, it's got to be an album that we both agree really, really kicks a lot of ass. That is good from the first note to the final scream. Yeah, albums that we both agree are great from start to finish. And this is one we've agreed on since day one. This is absolutely both of one of our favorite Mm all-time albums. And if I had to put a list together of, like, say, the top ten albums of all time, in the opinion of myself, Mm -hmm. this one would definitely be right up towards the top. Probably in the top three, at least top five. Well, and another testament to how how great it is is the era it came out in yeah and the success it had during that era it was an right. extremely confusing time for music at the time when it sure. came out and it still succeeded yeah number yeah. it was what number they say, one the, the first metal album yeah. what they consider to be metal to be number one on the u.s billboard charts yeah it's a it's an incredible record and and we'll get to that. Um, if we you had, haven't figured it out, we're talking about Slave, Slave to, to the, the Grind. Grind. I guess, it, yeah. well, well, you've seen the artwork in the title, but yeah, Slave to the Grind by Skid Row. Um, and our special guest for this is Michael Wagoner, the producer of the album. Our good friend. Yes, who we had a, a fun time going out to Wireworld Studios and also went out to have sushi later. I'll go out and have sushi with that guy or hang out at Wireworld Studios anytime. Absolutely. We'll, and, I'd uh, go right now. As you'll hear a little bit in the episode, our Instagram guy, Mike, Metal Mike was yeah. with us, and uh, another listener favorite, Billy Hardaway, was with yeah. us. Um, and yeah, you'll hear them chime in a little bit at a time. Now, this is um, with with John. This is this comes from a different angle. This is a right. producer that's sharing his experience of the album. So the track by track is not going to be quite as detailed as what you got with John because John was involved with all the writing on that. Right, because the original plan with with this was we were trying to line everything up, get the stars to align just perfectly for when Sebastian Bach was in town. Oh, we're going to share this, sure. <laughs> yeah, and you know we we really wanted to work it out where we could get Sebastian and Michael Wagner at the same right. time and just let those guys do the show. We were just going to turn on the microphones and be like this does yeah. geek podcast go well no one has to talk if sebastian's in the room right you know and how cool that would have been but unfortunately sebastian bach is a working man you know that guy's on the road he played here and he's playing somewhere else the next day and somewhere else the next day after that so it was pretty much impossible to get it all rounded up it was not from lack of trying yeah we definitely tried i did everything 
within my power to get him on. Yeah, well, but, scheduling. Um, what are you gonna do? But, yeah, you know? maybe he'll come back and we'll get to do it. When you're on demand, like like Sebastian Bach, man, you know the next town can't wait. Yeah. So, um, before, but luckily for us, Michael Wagner's right here in town with us. Absolutely. And before Michael joins us, let me go ahead and do geeks of the week. These are the people that shared on Facebook and retweeted on Twitter last week's Happy New Year episode, where we yeah. did songs that were happy, had happy new, new or year. year in the title, and um. People seem to really enjoy it. Really? Yeah, I, I a lot it, of good feedback. So. I thought it was dumb. Yeah, because initially Aaron came up like, well, do we do this? And I'm like, really? And I'm like, okay. But it was, it was a good It was song a joke selection. at first, but then it was like, okay, I guess we could do that. So it worked out fine. People actually liked it, so, so that's all that counts. Yeah, these awesome people shared or retweeted it. It's Matt Ashcraft, Wally Norton, David Alpazar, The Riff of the Day, Brent Walter, Warren Money, Mike Blunt, Justin A. Six, Corey Nallen, Shane Abair, Scott Ollinger, Paul Stam, Chris Karam, Rich Dillon, James Brendan Dunn, Billy Hardaway, Ian Wadley of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, Joe Lascon, Gino Ames, Sit and Spin with Joe, Chad Pollock, Derek Novak, Hoops, Lisa Brooks, and Music Mags and Wax. Right on. We appreciate you guys all so much. And if you're sharing or retweeting somewhere and we're missing it, you got to let us know. Yeah, you know, please do, and I'll get I'll make up for it. It always seems like there's some out there that somehow get missed. But, you know, that's just the way it goes when we're trying to round things up and get ready for the next week and then round things up and get ready for the next week. You know, we're just we're on the go. We're, we're Decibel Geek. We're rocking and rolling all over the place. So Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of interesting stories from Michael in this, this episode. And everybody loves Michael Wagner. Super I mean, great guy. Every time that guy comes on the show, it's it's always a great response, and today will be no different. Yes. So it's very, very proud to sit down with Michael Wagner and do a little Albums Unleashed for Skid Row, Slave to the Grind. So when we put the, when we decided to, and it's going and everything? Yeah, right? everything's going. Okay. So when we had decided to do this Albums Unleashed thing, uh, actually our interview with you last year was part of what made us decide that because like, we wanted to find new excuses to come out here again. Exactly. So, um, And you have enough of a resume <laughs> that, that, that we could come if out. Invite me to sushi. There's your excuse okay. right away. Well, then we'll do, we'll do the next one over sushi when we do another album. Awesome. Because you have plenty of albums that we love. Oh, man, we could come back and do 100 albums at least with Michael Wagner. Right, yeah, because your resume speaks for itself. But, but Yeah, it's um, like Chris says, you know, we came over here, we had such a good time last time. We had such a great response from the listeners all over the world that just loved the interview where you broke it down and just gave us the whole story, the whole Michael Wagner story but you know so we said nobody has heard the whole story yet yeah (laughs) well till today yeah if i I tell the whole story i get shot (laughs) names were changed to protect the guilty as hell yeah exactly so we had to come up with an excuse to come back so that's when we decided to start doing albums unleashed so today we're going to do an album that's very near and dear to our hearts both of our you know we consider it a masterpiece i know rock fans all over the world consider this one a masterpiece and that would be one that you had a huge hand in helping create and that's skid row slave to the grind mm-hmm. so well let's just get to the beginning like you worked on the debut album with them mm-hmm. and so did they i mean they came to you probably pretty quickly and said we want you to handle the next one I mean, oh yeah, I, yeah yeah it was mainly atlantic i mean yeah and the band of course we right. got along really well we worked together really well mm-hmm. you know i i get involved in basically in the writing stage already yeah and in the arranging and uh yeah, that was just a logical thing, and the, and the previous album sold over 10 million copies, yeah, so, yeah. you know, why change the team? Exactly. You know? And yeah. they did on the third record, and you see what happened. Yeah. Right? <laughs> see? Exactly. So, um, 
Let's, uh, I'm just going through the, like some of the notes on it. Um, it mentions that it was recorded at New River Studios in Fort Lauderdale mm-hmm. and Scream Studios in Studio City. So how does the uh, the whole two-studio thing end up happening? Well, uh, New River had a Neve console, and, and you know, uh, it was... We were doing pre-production in New Jersey in, in I think it was January, mm-hmm. and it was freaking cold up there and snowing, yeah. and, and so we so where are we going to do the record? Somewhere warm. Yeah. So <laughs> we took a weekend, and we went down to Florida, and we looked at a bunch of studios, and New River was one that, that we liked, uh-huh. you know? Um there was other studios, but there was always weird conditions like, yeah, you have to tear down every night and set up the next day. I go, Ugh. what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know? Never get anything done. No. And, and uh, oh, we mark everything down and then, no, forget it. And uh, um, criteria I liked, and, but that was, I think it was booked like half, half of the time that we needed. Yeah. So um, New River was a cool studio. They had a cool uh, Neve board and had cool rooms. Mm-hmm. And great sounding rooms, and the staff was really good, and so you know we just decided to do it there. Yeah, and so that's where it began. That's where it began. You know, yeah. it was a weekend, completely going out of the total cold down to Florida, and go. Oh, let's just look at a studio. Should we? <laughs> Calling Doc. Doc, we're going to Florida tomorrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that trip is unforgettable, man. It was just like. It was just crazy. Yeah, we, had, we hung out with uh, Saigon Kick, and and everybody got extremely drunk. Right, and it was a cool weekend. Yeah, actually. awesome. What cool. you remember of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I don't drink. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I did drink that weekend actually. Yeah, but uh, um, but. It was very quiet on in the limo on the way back to the airport. Oh, really? <laughs> Heads down, you know. I'll go over. Yeah. I remember one of the guys puking out the window off wow. the limo. Oh, and, wow. and then I see the car behind us putting their wipers on. Oh, <laughs> man. Wow. It's that's rock and roll, man. That's, rock and roll. that's how sure. it was. Yeah, definitely. I haven't seen that lately going on. Well, you know, you saw them during the first album when they were, you know, kind of babes in the woods and they were they, you know, weren't famous yet. And then you, they massive success. And then they come back. Was there a difference in how they behaved? No, they were absolutely freaking crazy on the first album too. <laughs> so they were already. <laughs> they were way, completely yeah. nuts. I mean, Sebastian was what eighteen yeah. at the time. Yeah, he was just a kid. And on the first album, and and they were absolutely nuts. And it was that first album was one of the most fun albums I remember doing. Mm-hmm. Slave to the Grind was a lot of fun too, you know, but. The first one was just like, it was amazing. We had the best times of our lives. And I think you can hear that on the record. Yeah, yeah. definitely. You know? but, um, so the like, second album, of course, there was the pressure. They had sold a lot of records. They were yeah. now superstars, actually. Right. Uh, at the time, I think they were one of the biggest bands in the world. Sure. Definitely. You know, and, and that creates a little bit of pressure. Right. But we just went to with what we wanted to do and, and you know, went through... Um, the plan that we had set, mm-hmm. and we followed that, and, and we stuck to it. When you guys set up the plan, you know, the layout, the way you see things going, you know, I've always noticed that Slave of the Grind's got like a, a heavier, a darker feel. That was feel. the plan. It was that, yeah? That was the plan. It's supposed to be, you know, every band at the time would say, oh, next album is way heavier. Yeah. You know, but this, we did it. We mm-hmm. just went and said, okay, let's make a heavier album, and, and we did it. Mm-hmm. You know, and we followed, we followed that route. Now, did they have a lot of songs ready to go, or did they do a lot of writing in the studio? No, we never. I never have people write in the studio. There's, uh, I, I request them to do like 
at least 25 songs mm -hmm. and out of those 25 we pick like 15 mm -hmm. for the for the closer circle and then we go and and pick 10 or 12 whatever is going to be a recording right and then an extra one back then it was an extra one for japan and and you know mm -hmm. and on this one we had one uh, get the fuck out right. yeah. that was not on the clean version of the album. Right, the clean version had Beggar's Day. Beggar's Day, which right. I like Great that song. song. I do too. Yeah, we're yeah gonna, I was thinking about that because when I was that. a kid, you know, it's like, oh, you got to get the version with Get the Fuck Out on it because mm -hmm. you're young and you think that's cool. Yeah. But as I got older and actually checked out the other version of the album, I really love that that's Beggar's the Day thing. song. You should get both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so they came prepared with the song. Well, we had, we had like, like I said, about 25 songs when we started. Whittled it down to about 15 when we went into pre-production. Mm -hmm. And in pre-production, we how many songs are on that? 11? Yeah. Yeah, Eleven. so. So we, we kicked out another two, mm -hmm. and then we had 13 that we recorded, I think, mm -hmm. and we used 11 okay. out of those. Yeah. So they came prepared with the stuff. Um, yeah, and then we went into pre-production mm -hmm. uh, in Jersey, like I said, and... Uh, um, in pre-production, you figure out what works and what doesn't work. Right. You go over the songs, you go over the arrangements, you change the arrangements. I had the demos, and then I make my nasty, nasty notes mm -hmm. on the demos uh, before we even go into pre-production. And I present that to the band. We go over the changes, see if they like them. And then uh, uh, from there, you know, we kind of like work out the songs to the point where we have A, the melody line. Mm -hmm. We have... Uh, the drums, bass, and rhythm guitar set. Solos you leave open a little bit, and other stuff you leave open a little bit, but the basic tracks have to be worked out. Right. Because at the time, studio day was two, two and a half thousand dollars. Right. You know, you, yeah. you did not go in there and write unless you were filthy rich. Yeah. You know, and, and you would be prepared and go in and just do it. Right. And that was always a big point. So, yeah, once we went to Florida, we were ready to go. Was there anything in uh, pre-production song-wise that uh, like maybe you and the band butted heads on as far as what would be used? Not really. We, we were pulling at the same string. Yeah. You know, we knew what we wanted to do, and we set that, we set that and we had a meeting with Doc, and, mm -hmm. and you know, and so how are we going to go this time, and, and, and worked it out, and... and Let's stick to being Skid Row, mm -hmm. you know, but let's make it a little tougher, a right. little harder. Yeah. And, and, but we still had the ballads on there, yeah. you know. They were maybe not quite as sappy as on the first record, right, right. you know. Yeah. But it also didn't sell as many copies as the first record, you know, mm. because the housewives that like the ballads, they're buying the records. Right. You know, and the, and the girls, you know. And right. So, yeah. but, I mean, it's still an amazing album. Oh, sure. But, yeah, Monkey Business is not really written for housewives. Yeah, and, and <laughs> no, not really. And, you know, um, yeah, for instance, with Extreme. Yeah. You got more than words, and the next song is He Man Woman Hater. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I go... Cool, <laughs> but the housewives might not like. Yeah, that. probably not. And I'm not using housewives. No, as a, you know. Right, I, I got you. I'm just a, so, uh, um, yeah, and and we actually for Slave to the Grind before we even went down to Florida, uh -huh. we went into a fairly big studio in in Jersey, and uh, pretty much recorded the whole record. No, oh, really. You know, and and uh, uh, went over all the songs. 
easily without like taking care of a lot of the sounds and, and stuff like that just to get get a feel down for the what it sounds like yeah. yeah made a good demo so to speak right and uh um did the whole album and the funny thing is the song Slave to the Grind mm -hmm. is from that session. Oh, really? It was recorded and mixed in one hour. Wow. That's it. And that's what you're hearing on the record. Wow. We never kind of got that feel again. So yeah. we all agreed on, let's just take the demo. Yeah. It was not even remixed. Huh. It, was, it was one hour we recorded. Everything is live on there. Except for maybe a couple of backing vocals or something right. like that. And, uh, That's uh, awesome. That, is, uh, that was Slave to the Grind. Did they know that Slave to the Grind was going to be the title of the album right away? Uh, I think there was, yeah, that was the, the yeah. general idea. Because Sebastian, his dad, painted the picture, mm. yeah. you know, the album cover. Right. And uh, um, so uh, I think that was already at least being mentioned. Right, okay. And Doc's involvement in this like was he was he around most of the time no, for the, no? he was never around oh really he maybe would come visit once you know um scott his brother he was at the show the other night yeah, yeah. he's he was around all the time because he was the quote quote manager of the band right you know so he was around all the time and and uh at the time, Sebastian's handler was around all the time. Sebastian's handler? <laughs> yeah, it was a guy that would be just, like, mostly dealing with him. Oh, you know? so he had to have one person assigned to, to handle like, him. <laughs> so you got to have somebody there to tell Sebastian, no, don't touch that, don't touch it, yeah. put, put yeah. that down, you know? Yeah. That's wow. hot, you're going to burn and, yourself. And, you know, they were massively <laughs> famous, and, yeah. and there was constantly 30, 40 people in front of the studio. Oh really? Fans constantly. Yeah, and wow. bass would go out there and buy him pizza and, and you That's know cool. and stuff like that. So yeah. it was it right was on. a really cool atmosphere. Yeah. So, but you know we were all crazy at the time. But this was was this before all the uh, animosity between the guys started up? Or yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. It hadn't yeah. reared its head yet. Yeah. That no. Because I know it eventually became kind of a Rachel against Sebastian thing. Um, I don't want to get in, get into details too much, right. but I think it was after the third album. Yeah. You know, um, which didn't quite work the way everybody expected it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and and actually, when I heard it, I was a little disappointed right. about it because we had worked so much on vocals and stuff like that, and that didn't seem to be the case on that third album. Right. So, uh, and after that, there was uh, you know, young kids becoming. Ex extremely famous mm -hmm. that goes to your head of course so all of a sudden you're invincible and 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 stuff just happens yeah. you know and 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 uh, uh uh if they think they're invincible they do things that might not 
really work in the end. You right. Know? Yeah. And I think some of that was going on, and and it wasn't, it wasn't really good for the band. Some of the stuff that was said about record companies, executives, and stuff like that wasn't really good for the band. Right. And then Snake and and, and Rachel had to go and make up for it and mm-hmm. go play golf with the guys, and you know, mm-hmm. and and it got to the point where it got that so out of hand that they said, you know what, forget it. Yeah. It's not worth it anymore, and, and all that, all that anger, and all that animosity, and 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 stuff we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Yeah, you know. And I mean, I talked to Rachel three or four years later because we did more records sure, together right. with him. Uh, and I said, "Is it ever going to happen again?" He goes, "No." Yeah. As long as I have a slice of bread on my table, no. Yeah. You know, and and you can imagine. With the album sales that they did, and he's a writer. Yeah, he'll never run out of money. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I think I've heard that he's they've been offered untold sum, sums yeah. of money to do it, yeah. and they just yeah. like no, we no. want we rather be no. have have a happy work environment. Right. right. So and you no, got to yeah. imagine too, you know, at the time when talking about the debut album, you know, and and Slave to the Grind was so successful, you know, when you when you're doing good and you're successful, you can kind of overlook things, but then by the time that third album came. And the record sales were way down from then. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, well, is it worth it you're now? You're willing to put up you know? with less. When exactly. And also, you have to see it like a marriage. You know, mm-hmm. those guys were together in one bus, basically in one room yeah. for months and months and months. Yeah. So if, if if there's something that falls out of line, it it multiplies a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, that that will bring it to an end. That'll yeah. be a divorce at the end. Yeah, everything is magnified when they're in close quarters like that. It's like, yeah, that's suppose why everything you, you do affects somebody else. Being in a band is so crazy because it's like <laughs> that's when you have cases of like a guy threatening to quit the band over who got the last slice of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's from true. the outside, you're like, you guys are insane. But it's uh, when you're true. in the middle of that, it's like an incubator. Yeah, know? and if there's anything serious. Yeah. more serious than a slice of pizza, then it will come to a break. You right. Know? Yeah. And and I'm amazed that. I think we could have done at least two more massive albums mm-hmm. with Skid Row. At least two more, you know? And, and uh, But to them it was more important, the sanity was more important, than, right. you know? I'm glad to know that, you know, and you can tell by listening to the album Slave to the Grind that they were definitely firing on all cylinders oh, at yeah, that yeah. time. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like everyone's at the peak of their abilities on this album. Yeah, and also I pushed them that way, Yeah, you know? I always I, figured I working with you... Like, was why they called it Slave to the Grind. <laughs> no. no, no, no. That was, that was, uh, I don't know why, where that name came from. Oh. I always thought, it I always thought the guy with the whip was you. Before we even started, I'm pretty sure it was. Right. But, um, so let's go track by track. And um, the, first, the first song, Monkey Business. Well, like, I mean, these songs, you heard these in pre-production. I, were you pretty wowed by what you heard when uh, compared to the first album? Otherwise, I wouldn't, yeah. the song wouldn't be on the record. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was everything, everything is, that's on the record um, is, uh, is a choice mm-hmm. because we all liked it. Right. <clears throat> now, was this, was, was Monkey Business, a, a, was it automatically pretty much assumed that was going to open the album? No. Because yeah, you'd no. think Slave to the Grind would be yeah. the logical opening yeah. song. And it wasn't? No, no. monkey business. <laughs> <Give me that>. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, what, 24 years or something? Mm-hmm. 
and Monkey Business was the first single too because yeah, that was yeah. the first video I ever seen. I mean, that blew my mind when I saw that video for the first time. Yeah. You know, and I remember Slave to the Grind. You know, you think about how people seen that video. We're like, holy shit, you know, we got to get down to the mall and buy this album, buy this CD cassette, you know, at the time. And I remember back in those times when you actually wait at the mall, you know, and I was one of those kids that, you know, I, I had the first one and I couldn't wait for that second album to come out, you know, and that video was part of the reason why. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, uh, you know. but there was no, no, the album order basically is done when everything is done. Mm -hmm. You want to hear how everything comes out. You know, there's a couple of rules. Well, you do three songs and then you do a ballad or right. something like that. Yeah. And you pick it back up, kind of like a live show. Right. You know, which nowadays is not that important anymore because people listen to iTunes. They go to one song. One song at a time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, um, what we do or what we did at the time is we would take, like, write everything on pieces of paper mm -hmm. and then move the papers around right. and then make a, an order. You have to keep in mind, and there was no computers. It was all tape, right? You know, and and you would play it onto a cassette or something like that, mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, listen to it in in that order and see, yeah. you know, see how it worked, how the flow goes. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then you you can keep in mind the the key. Is it a fade out? You know, how does the song start? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the tempo? And and all those factors come back in to make it an album that. Keeps you keeps you interested till the right. end, right? Right. Yeah, because back then people would listen to an entire album, you at know, least from the half one. Yeah. So yeah. you have to have the flow to it to go yeah. all the way through. I think Monkey Business great way to start the album. It starts mm -hmm. all kind of has got that Bluesy. it tricks you a little bit. It's yeah. like the ladies are listening, like, oh, that's nice. Wait a minute, yeah. you know, and yeah. it kicks yeah. in and yeah. just ramps up. You know, it's a great way to start the that, album. The music swells into that scream. Yeah, and it really kind of grabs you, right? You, especially coming up because I guess the last single before the album came out was "I Remember You" from the. First First album wasn't was it? it? I, I believe I was Pizza Me the last one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you know, I remember you big ballad, and then they come back with this huge, you mm -hmm. know, metal song. Um, any particular memories of tracking this this tune? Uh, no, I I can picture the studio and 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 you know, and I picture the environment. My my stack of U's on on the on the floor of right. the console, but yeah. but not really. I mean, nothing really sticks out to me as, as you know, it, it, there was so much going on every day. Right. And and the only thing I know for a fact always was the guy were, guys were begging to get into the studio and, and do their part. Right. Yeah. They were never like, oh, I don't feel like, you know, They're that excited. never happened. Yeah. There was no drugs, no alcohol in really? the studio while it's being done. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I mean, as soon, okay, tape stops and we're done for today. Sure, yeah. have a beer, right. you know, but while we're recording... No, right. not really. No drinking on the job. And I would don't mind if somebody drinks a beer or something like that's nothing. Right. Yeah. Um, if they do heavy drugs, no. Yeah. Well, I, so I just it's go affect the yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah, because yeah, you're pounding your head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And then so then going on to the slave of the grind side you said you that was the demo, so you the didn't demo. you didn't even have to track so you didn't track did you track it we again? We tracked it, yeah. But it was didn't but hold up to just, the first one. The, just the demo kept feeling better because right. I guess nobody cared. Uh -huh. You know, nobody was concerned about the red light when we did the demo. Yeah. They were just in there having fun playing yeah, so you as it. if it was a rehearsal. Right. You know, and and Sebastian sang it on a 58, I think. Wow. And, and uh, uh, I mean, nothing was done to it. We mixed it right there. 
recorded it, did a couple of overdubs, mixed it, and that was it. And that's what you're hearing. It, the only thing it got mastered together with the rest of the right. songs. So even Sebastian singing on that track, everything. that's all holy everything. shit. Wow. One everything. take. You wouldn't know it by listening to it. I mean, you, no. You no, think I mean, it fits in there, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, there was there was basically no overdubs. I think the only overdubs was a. I think they even played the solos while we did the tracking. Seriously, and then overdubbed some rhythm guitars in those spots. Yeah, you know? uh, or something like that. And then, and we did backing vocals as an overdub right. at that demo studio. Well, I say demo studio, it was still a digital recording. Right. Yeah. You know, it was a big studio with a Neve console. Right, yeah. And and so that was probably part of why it came out so good. You sure. know, all the equipment was good, studio was working fine, it was a great room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and a lot of people don't, you know, people talk about Snake and Rachel and, and Sebastian, but you don't hear much about Rob Afuso drumming wise. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's one of the MVPs on this record. The what? One of, I think he's one of the most valuable players on the album. Yeah, they're all, they were all good. But they yeah. were all, I thought they were all great. Yeah. You know? And Rob sometimes took a while till he fell into the groove, mm-hmm. but once he got it, he got it. Right. You know? So, okay, we did a couple of takes, and then, oh, yeah, there it is. Right. Same with the first record. Yeah, I yeah. think Powerful. Rob's a great drummer. He is. Yeah, he yeah. Is yeah. Very, the power of his drumming comes out on this album. And, and he's especially. one of the nicest people you can meet. Oh, yeah. 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 Right on. Cool. I think he's living up in New York now. I, I think yeah, I, I saw something. I saw him in a, in a tuxedo or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he's doing uh, uh, corporate festivities or something like yeah. that oh, where okay. he's playing. something different than rock it's not yeah. a rock band yeah, yeah something, something different some, I, I'm not quite sure I should call him up and find out <laughs> so then we move on to track three which is the threat um, I wanted to ask you about the guitar sound in the main riff on this song because it almost has a synth type sound to it was there something added to the to the guitar track on that song sometimes what we would do is like overdub the rhythm guitars for mm-hmm. instance it was it on the rhythm guitars you mean yeah on the, the main riff we overdubbed them an octave higher maybe that's what i'm hearing because it's uh yeah there's there's more going on with the with that riff than on like some of the other songs right 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 and and, and sometimes it's just a sound we use the rivera a lot on that okay you know um which we I did Saigon Kick and they used the reverse and I, I loved them. I still have it actually. Oh, okay. And, and uh, so uh, we used that a lot. And uh, God, what else did we use? Marshalls, of course, the usual yeah. stuff. Yeah, because the thread, it's got that that riff and it's such a thick, full sound on that. Yeah, on that track. I think it's tuned down, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's a it's an interesting sound on the guitar. Right? Yeah. Like it's. It's, I was listening through the album last night just to get ready for this. Not that I haven't heard it a million times, right. but but listening to it, I was like, "That's I got to ask Michael about the guitar tone." Yeah, because it's and it and you know sometimes it's also it's uh, uh, Scotty would sit there and work something out. Yeah, and Snake. Yeah, you know they would sit there in another room and work out a sound right before they would even go in and, and record it, or even in, in pre-production they would. Society. 
those guys really have a good chemistry together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two guitar oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they talk about, like, the great guitar duos of all time, you know, like Priest and, and bands like that. And I think Snake and uh, and Scotty, man, you got to put those guys in there with it just because they gel so well together. When one's, you know, ripping the soul, the other one's laying, keeping it heavy, yeah. you know, keeping that chug going. And they're both good lead players. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah go and and Scotty is more of the, the bluesy, feely lead mm-hmm. player, and Snake is more of the technical, faster kind of guy. You know? Yeah. And that was a good combination. Yeah. It's a little bit of old meets new as yeah. far as guitar styles go. Yeah. Um, so then we move on to Psycho Love. The, this song, man, I uh, <clears throat> I kind of I kind of equate this song to almost a bridge between glam rock and grunge because mm-hmm. and metal a little bit punk. too. Yeah. It yeah. it's, it's got that punk on that with the bass. That is Rachel. Rachel is a big fan of punk music, right? You know, and and as you can hear now on the newer records, and and on some other stuff that he's done, um, and. That was his influence in that one. I mean, his influence is on every song. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. the main but, writer. Yeah. yeah. And, but, um, you know, they wanted to go that direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Psycho Love, was it Psycho Love? Yeah, I think it was. Um, now, we're talking 1990 91. or 91 or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So no computers. Right. You know? So um, we did... We did the whole whole song, recorded it all in Florida, and then we went to Scream Studios in L.A. for mixing, mm-hmm. and we did a few more overdubs. We we did some more vocals at Scream, right? And and we also uh, did, uh, um, I think that was it, just a few more vocals. So with Psycho Love, when we got to to Scream Studios, we go, I don't know. The vocal on the demo was better. Uh-huh. So we actually took the vocal of the demo and flew it into the recording from Florida. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, but the song was, I think, two or three beats per minute faster. Uh-huh. So oh, the vocal wow. would never fit. Yeah. You know? And that was the first time I worked with a digital machine called the uh, Akai DD-1000. Mm-hmm. A $20,000 machine back then. And uh, um, they brought it in, and I kind of adjusted all the demo vocals to the mm-hmm. to the new track. Oh and, wow! And it worked out good. So this is back in the days of tape, so... It was all tape. I mean, it was all digital a, tape. You were pretty handy with a razor blade back then? No. I never <laughs> touched a razor blade in my life. Uh, I would always have that. Garth, my assistant, uh-huh. yeah. Garth Richardson, or, yeah. or Garth, cut that tape. <laughs> I, I won't touch it's it. the grunt work of studio. Yeah. 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 So I always remember about Psycho Love was the video, because it was came on the... Uh, on the uh, video, the VHS, and yet it came with the 3D glasses. Yeah. Remember the 3D video for that? Mm-hmm. How cool was that? Yeah. You know, smash, you know, his cool, hand uh, come out yeah, of the TV you find and that stuff. Nowadays? Yeah, you know, they yeah, got nothing yeah, like that nowadays. But yeah, always about that bass, that bass on that song. The, yeah. the bass, yeah, we took we took about three days to figure out the bass sound. 
you know, different right. amps, different guitars, well, different, different strings, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, uh, it took us a long time to get a get the bass sound that we were looking for. Yeah, and then the, the punk feel really comes in when they when they modulate the speed up on the on the end of the yeah. song. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And um, so those of you that are screaming at your iPod, yes, I missed the song, and uh, track four was Quicksand Jesus, so let's oh. talk about that. I got the track order wrong. This one, um, you know, like we said earlier, that... You know there are ballads on this album, but they're they have a lot more depth and they're a little bit darker yeah. and heavier. Yeah. 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 So, um, any memories of this one, one in particular? Well, yeah, memories. Yeah, but yeah. you know, to me, it's all like sitting there going, okay, let's get the best 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 parts and sure. get the best performance out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, um, nothing really that sticks out. Right. You know, I couldn't say, oh, we did that on that. Like I said, it's like over 20 years ago. Yeah, right. We've <laughs> done a lot of music since then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But a couple, couple of records. Yeah. Subject matter, you know, is heavier on this song. Like, they really got into darker stuff on, yeah. this, on this album. And uh, Yeah, that went along with the whole thing. You know, Rachel and Snake, I think uh, Rachel and Snake write the lyrics, you know, wrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, um, so... Okay, it's going to be a heavier record, so that negated that. We, the lyrics were a little bit yeah. heavier too, you know. That was decided long before we even started, uh-huh. you know, long before we even started, uh, even with pre-production or when they were still writing the the, the demos and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it was decided, okay, we're going to go into that direction. Right. And Sebastian was a big part in like going let's go heavier okay so you he know, I think Guns N' Roses were out and, yeah. and, and he loved that mm-hmm. and so he wanted to go a little bit more heavier and everybody kind of agreed yeah you know and we go, we're still going to do some ballads but they're also going to be darker and heavier with a different subject matter right mm-hmm. You talk about how uh, how Snake and Rachel mainly write the song. Well, how does the process work for them to, the, to then get Sebastian to sing it? You know, does do they teach him? Well, how do they teach the, him the on song? The first, yeah, on the first record, uh, everything was written when Sebastian joined the band. Right. Everything down to the last word, every every note was written. And on the second second record, Sebastian co-wrote some stuff. Yeah. You know, um, but. The main writers are Rachel and Snake. Mm-hmm. So they present the song, they present the demo, and go, here's the demo, let's work on it. And they work it out all together as a band, practice yeah. it, and then they take it to me. Mm-hmm. And okay. then I go, okay, that part is a little bit too long, or, you know, a different groove in that part, and 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 so on, so on, so on, you mm-hmm. know. Maybe put a fill there and, and change the melody line there a little bit. All that, all those little things. And... and uh, um, 
you might call it writing. I, I kind of don't. For me, it's like producing, mm-hmm. right. you know, uh, and, and it's part of the deal. So, um, but that's how they do it. They, they uh, um, you know, they come all together and, and other people might present songs as well. And then there's a vote between mm-hmm. the band to say, okay, well, we're using that one or we don't use that one, right. you know. The vocals are good, but like I said, you know, the the rhythm section between Rachel and Rob are is uh, super tight, mm-hmm. especially on that song. And, and don't forget, no editing. That's what they played. That's crazy. You know, there is no Pro Tools. There's no editing. There is no, well, or little vocal tuning. Right. But um, there's no editing. That's what they played. And and in most cases, that was the take. Right. Yeah. You know. Wow. And in, in, in most cases, uh, Rob and Rachel played at the same time, and we kept it. Yeah. And maybe one rhythm guitar or something like that. But, yeah. So when a band comes in and is, is able to do it like that, do, do you feel like that makes your job that much easier? That makes my job. Yeah. I hated doing it another way. Right. You know? I, I See, I work on Nuendo. And then people come in here and go, can you tune my vocals? I go, no, Nuendo doesn't do that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't align your drums. You have to play it again. Right, yeah. yeah. Just, the technology is just not is there done, yet. <laughs> music is done by musicians, not by typists. Right, right? That's exactly. Crazy, you know? That's why and, Slave and if to you the Grind can't is play such a masterpiece. And if you can't perform it, why are you here? Yeah. Get a, get a job at a yeah. bank or something It'll like flip that. flip a burger. You know? <laughs> There's this little word called practice. Right. Yeah. yeah I, it, it riles me up. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't blame how, you. How, and, and you can say about the 80s, hair metal and stuff, whatever you want. Those guys would practice. Yeah. They knew their craft. Yeah. You know, they could play their instruments. And and nowadays, people come in, you got a pick? You don't even have a freaking pick, you know? It's it's Jeez. just... And back then, you know, Snake and Rachel and, 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 and Scotty, they would sit there, try different amps and try different sounds, and go, oh, for that solo, mm-hmm. that amp might work better. Right. And we would put it in a studio, mic it up, and try it, you right. know? Yeah. Sometimes we use something else or something additional, but they would try to figure out what worked for a certain part. Yeah, yeah. It's so, a real creative process. So, but yeah, like you said, a lot of it you're getting in one take or, you know, very few. Yeah. And, cause it's that and much it doesn't have to be like maybe the first take. Yeah. But, you know, at some point there is a take that's from beginning to end that's good. Yeah. That's what we use. And if there's little things that go like yeah. that, you know, fine. That's right. music to me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I like it. Yeah. You know? It's actually being performed. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Which is more than you can say about a lot of people these days. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so then we go track six, which on the non-clean version is Get the Fuck Out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, this song uh, kind of has a, in my album, it's kind of like a modern-day Mott the Hoople type sound to me. I just, I think it's, like, a, it, it's, some people say it's kind of a party anthem or something, but I I took it a little bit more seriously than that. I didn't view it that way. But uh, as we said, Beggar's Day, I think I like better as a song. Yeah, Beggar's Day is awesome. But this one, I guess, probably, especially for 1991, it's like, ooh, it's got the F word in the title. You oh, know? yeah, it was, that was, that was deliberate. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was totally deliberate. I mean, that's how, how we talked at the time. Right. And I was every second word. Yeah. And, and okay, let's do a song that is just, like, really offensive. You know, like we did with Accept and, and Son of a Bitch, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. way back then in, in 79 or 80. You know? Right. And uh, let's do a song that's really offensive and, and, and 
put everything in there that we feel. Right. You know? Yeah. If you don't like it here, get the fuck out. Was the whole thing, and everybody was singing it with like conviction. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like it was a fun day doing the gang vocals for that one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, right. So back then, you know, Skid Row and these bands that are popular at the time, they've got to have that reputation of being badasses, you know. And if to you have a rebel, you will yeah, sell records. Exactly. Look at Axel. You know, yeah. he's one of the biggest rebels, and and you have to be a rebel because. Kids don't like their parents or don't like their parents' opinion. Well, sure so if like you agree music. with the kids and go against the parents, then, you know, you already have a winner. Yeah. Right? You know, that, then you that are. was a ticket back then. The today. youth gone wild. And then also, <laughs> um, you know, when Tipper Gore came out with the stickers. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and that was the best thing that could ever happen. Sure. Because oh, every record. record that had a sticker would sell much more. Yeah, yeah you know? for sure. I want to buy that. Yeah, you want what yeah. you can't have. So Not know. supposed to have, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's fun. Sure, for sure, man. Like I said, you know, you walked in, you looked, you had the one with the sticker, the one without. I know the first one I bought was the one with the sticker. <laughs> you know, just because it was so cool back then. Yeah, but what goes around comes around. I'm now a parent, and I can't get my kids to listen to any of this stuff. Like, that's weird <laughs> stuff. I don't like any of that. We're trying to get them to listen <laughs> to get the fuck out. <laughs> they do it anyway. You know, as soon as they're out the door, they do it anyway. Oh, you should listen yeah. to the stuff they're listening to now. Yeah. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not. Wow. Me neither. Yeah, the, the get the fuck out is... Like a, a Barney song in comparison yeah. to sure. what my kids. That's funny to, to think about the the progression. Yeah, it was twenty years ago, but something like that was offensive. Nowadays, that is that nothing. Nobody it's got nothing. a second thought. People There's nothing have shocking way anymore. Too much time, and <laughs> way too bored to care about shit like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, track seven, "Living on a Chain Gang." It's one of my favorite songs on the Love whole it. album. The uh, with the you know the, the abrupt start with the and then Sebastian kicking into the vocals. Was that was that original? Was it demoed that way, or were there other intros tried um, on that? I can't remember to be honest, but I think it was it, we we came up in the in rehearsal with that in mm-hmm. pre production. Yeah, you know the the final form of that. Right. A lot of times it's like they have the song, they start at one and end there, and then um, you say, okay, let's bring that down a little bit, start a little bit different, let's take that out, let's take that out, add maybe something there. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it like a, a chain rattle or, or like a, a, an, a an anvil kind of thing on there? On the intro? Wasn't it? I can't remember. I just remember it's just, <laughs> and then vocal, but it might be in that in the mix right. there.
guys do stuff like that? Bring in, try to do effects? Uh, oh, yeah. Songs, yeah. Things like That's that. the fun yeah. of it. Yeah. That's the fun of it. <laughs> the um, Anything crazy you did on this album? Anything way out there for sound effect? Uh, Zoom. <laughs> kazoo, was, kazoo was a uh, saigon kick we used to kazoo. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is, we just had sushi before, uh-huh. and, and we're all standing around the microphone, me included, and playing kazoo. And then in the middle of the solo, I go, fish breath. <laughs> and, and it's on the record. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. If you listen to the solo very closely, you hear me saying fish breath. I'll have to check That's that awesome. out. I'll yeah. go listen to that. <laughs> the um, and I have a lot of a lot of the the notes I have when I went through the album was like, like the high scream at the end of the first chorus that Sebastian does on mm-hmm. "Living on Chain Gang." It was like, was that one take stuff? I mean, or did he take a lot wanna, of takes? I don't to want get to that? talk about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, this is this is like recording stuff that you don't want to get put in put out in the open. Well, you know, um, it's like 20 years ago, and, you know, Spash Bach is a killer singer. I mean, even, to, like, yeah, well, we've seen him, he's still singing great. It took a little bit of work to yeah. do. Yeah, I can imagine so, yeah. you know. Who yeah. can who can run well, through one of these songs nonstop, you know? The end yeah. result is jaw-dropping, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. Although on some of it, like you told us, he did run through it all nonstop, you know, so that's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so track eight is Creep Show. And uh, Rob Afuso is a co-writer on this, so I don't know if you knew what his contribution was to this. Well, song. you know, it's, it's uh, probably a lot of the song came up in pre-production. Mm-hmm. That means Rob was contributing parts and, and stuff yeah. like that, so right. he got credit on it. Mm, okay. That's cool when you work like a team like that, and this album definitely comes off as a true team effort between you and the band. Mm-hmm. And you know, where even Rob's kicking in, you know, ideas and stuff mm-hmm. for songs well, enough to get Everybody always is. It's just a matter of okay, was that a major part that changed the song? And yeah. in this case, it probably was. Right. Cool. Yeah. The um, the guitar and on the pre the the guitar sound on the the pre-chorus riff on that song um, is that a Telecaster being played on that? Which song is it? On a creep show. I would have to hear You'd it. You'd have to listen to it. Yeah, I have to I have to listen to it. I mean we can put it on if you want, but so what were we asking? The uh, well that there's that. There's in the riff and the pre chorus, it sounds like a telecast. That that is a telecast. It is? Yeah. Okay. Rob doing the cowbell? Yeah. yeah. That was all mounted with one kid. Yeah. 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 So definitely a telecast. Yeah, that's a telly. Okay. Totally overdriven on a on some kind of combo amp. Okay. Uh, just to get that that high endy kind of God, all that stuff I completely forgot about. <laughs> and when Rob does the cowbell, is that on his drums or do they yeah. do that separate? No, no, that was that was on his drums. Yeah, it was mounted on his drums. Wow. It's it a big sounding cowbell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> major. I mean, using mallet. It's better than Will Ferrell. Okay, so from uh, Creep Show goes to track nine, which is in a darkened room. A very heavy um, ballad, like mm-hmm. like. 
dark. And uh, actually, the other night when Sebastian performed, he dedicated it to Dimebag Daryl because I guess Dimebag said it was his yeah. favorite Skid Row song. Yeah, and and it was basically a, um, a real life situation. Mm-hmm. It was you know a true story. Yeah, what it, that it was based on. Did Rachel write this one? I don't know. I, I don't can't remember. remember. Okay. Say on there somewhere. Research department. Yes. <laughs> this is one of. Sebastian, or did he, I think Sebastian may have had a hand in that song. Is this the one you said was both Steven Adler? No, that's um, Wasted Time. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bach, Bowen and Snake. I did not know that. Uh, Bach, Bowen and Snake. So, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a... Sebastian, Rachel, and Snake. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's based on a real thing. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, the, the lyrics are based on a real uh, story out of their youth or something like that. Right. Wild on that, you know. It's like 18 in life, same thing. Right. That's a real guy mm-hmm. that they're singing about. Yeah, we were talking about how, you know, the ba- there's ballads on this album, but it's not like I Remember You. You know, these are right. real dark, thick, deep songs. You right. know, it's it's really a cool difference. It's like, you know, yeah, there's ballads on this album, but it, they don't really feel like they're ballads. They're because they've well, got that heavy edge. Well, it's the involvement of the band. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, you 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 do a record, you're selling a lot of records, you go on tour massively. They went out with Bon Jovi for nine months mm-hmm. yeah. and played twice a night. They would play play as an opener for Bon Jovi and then go in the same city and play a club. Yeah, yeah. every night. So so you get a reaction from people. You know, and and that forms your thinking towards the next record. You see, oh, people love that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the kids with the bolt in their cheeks, they would like the heavier songs. Sure. You know, but on a Bon Jovi concert, there's probably a lot of uh, teenagers, a lot of right, girls. A lot of girls. You know, and they would love the ballads. Okay, right. let's combine that. Right. You know, right write, write a ballad for the kid with a bolt in his cheek. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Was there ever any blowback from the record company to say, hey, you know, the, these songs aren't sweet enough? Yeah. You sweeten these they songs up. That was yeah. always a fight that I had. I always had to defend the band from the record company. Yeah. You know, because a record company goes, looks at the charts and goes, oh, we need 10 more of those. Right. You know, but when you look at the charts as a number one, normally that was recorded at least a year ago. Right. right. That's an For old sure. piece of music, mm-hmm. you know. And on the first album, the label wanted to redo all the vocals. Really? All of them. Yeah. Why? And and Johnny was up there, and and uh, uh, he went in and sang harmonies on every single song. Yeah. And I looked down the hallway, and Rachel and, and Snake are sitting there going like this. You know, so as soon as Johnny walked out, I erased all those vocals except for one line on I Remember You. Oh, oh yeah. I heard about this. Yeah, yeah you told I, us that. Yeah, 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 I remember that. So that was not the band. You know, right. there's Bon Jovi and there's Skid Row, two yeah. different bands. Very different. And Skid Row was the heavy band, and as they grew up, um, 
you know, the first album we did in 88, and that one we did in, what, 90, I think we did yeah. it. Right? It came out Recorded in 91. Recorded in 90, yeah. Yeah. So that's two years later of constant touring and being on the road and growing and, and experiencing, you know. And, and normally you got 10 years to write your first record and four months to write your second record in the back of the right. bus. Right, yep. sure. That was amazing material for a second album. Oh, really? You know? Well, because many people think it out, it outdoes the first one yeah. i think yeah. so yeah. It, it's a definitely i think it's a deeper album than the first one for yeah sure. yeah the first one had a few songs i'd call i'd consider more as clunkers this one is great from start to finish yeah, yeah. so i mean they're all well written but songs. the first one that was the band back then yeah it was sure yeah. you know the time more piece. Of a party album it, like, it is yeah. Like yeah everything else that came out in a you know, yeah just like Warren that was the band did. back then and then they got more serious yeah let's yeah. call it that way right. second album more mature yeah. But you were getting you were getting brushed back from the record company saying you gotta let's get some more on the first one. I mean on this one though. Didn't yeah, on, they were no kind of, on this they one. They weren't saying we want another. I I remember you. No, no. They say no. you you did a good job the first the time. The first just, one sold ten and a half million. So they were do. yeah, yeah do your thing. Know. Yeah, nice. Well, just just do another record with it. Okay, you know, cool. and Doc is more of a more of an influence. Uh, or deciding factor in what goes on the record than the than the label, in fact. Really, yeah. You know, Doc knows what he wants to do with it, what he wants to sell, yeah. where he wants to put them. You know, and not that Skid Row, that the guys gave a shit about it. Yeah. You know, they did the record that they wanted to do, mm-hmm. and we worked it out together. But you know, that's the record that Skid Row wanted to do at the time, and mm-hmm. Doc just goes, "Got my blessing, right? Yeah. Go for it." You know. Did he have? A and he heard the demos and go, okay, you're done. Yeah, nice. but I mean, did he have a massive influence over those guys, or did they run rampant over him? No, no, he was just working with them, and he's trying, trying to do the best for them, right? Which he did, yeah. Obviously, you know, like he does with everybody that he works with. Doc is just amazing, yeah. yeah. And and uh, um, so, yeah, there might have been here and there things where they didn't agree. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have to play in Russia or whatever, right. you know. But in terms of the record, we have one meeting. This is what we want to achieve. Yeah, you know, go with it. Right. And and then it was up to us to make that record. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, they came in. Doc wasn't even there. Um, in the end, and said on the first record, yeah, we have to do all the vocals over. Yeah. And I go, no, we're not. <laughs> you know, that that's the record. Yeah. You know, and, and the band agreed, and and uh, uh, there was way more to it. But right. No, we kept the vocals that we did at, at uh, Royal Recorders, and that's it. <laughs> I don't blame you. And I, mean, I, I won. Yeah. Ten and a half million, don't lie. Right. You well, know? yeah. The 20 million flies can't be wrong. Shit's got to taste good. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's beautifully put. <laughs> so eloquent. <laughs> so um, after uh, In a Darkened Room is Riot Act, which uh, is a great song. Yeah, yeah, that's heavy. See, that's again, it's Rachel. That's the punk yeah. rock. Yeah. That's his yeah, massive tell. influence on on that kind of stuff. I hear uh, a little bit of Teenage Lobotomy by the Ramones. On the, yeah, yeah. The main that, that's his influence. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I never wanted to be president. Pissing down my back, so 
Yeah, I lo- and the bass tone, man. I mean, yeah. it, did he work hard to get his bass to sound that way? We we worked on the bass tone, like I said, for three days. Yeah, you know, and within those three days, we worked out four or five different ways of of doing the bass, and 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 so we could go, okay, that works on this song. Yeah, and then we refined it for each song, so it really came across. Right. Now I know you don't want to go too in depth on Sebastian's vocals, but the uh, the vo- where he goes up coming out of the solo, it makes my throat hurt listening to it. Because I mean, <laughs> it sounds like he is you can't you couldn't get him to sing any higher than that. Did you push him to do that, or did he want to sing that high? Well, that was done in pre-production. Yeah, this is where it's going. Uh, yeah. Go and practice. Yeah. You know, and he did. It and, sounds and, like his voice is just going to give it any second on that. Phone. Yeah, I mean, it, it was probably the top of what he could do at Absolutely. the time. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, and uh, Sebastian would always rehearse a lot. He would uh, warm up his voice a lot, and and you know, mm-hmm. um, the vocals were a lot of work. Yeah, I have to I have to say on on both records, yeah. on the first one more than the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and and later on, Sebastian came in and he sang on the Randy Rhodes tribute that I did, mm-hmm. and it was no work at all. He just sang it. I don't know if this because it's songs that were already existing, right? You know, but the vocal was a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work. He's an amazing singer. Yeah, he's got an amazing um, attitude and 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 expression in his vocal. Pitch wasn't always mm. you know something. And and like I said, there's no no tuning. Back in those well, days. I think some of that may have come from he was still kind of learning his, his he, craft. He was at the learning time. to use his voice, yeah. Because yeah. then he went on to do Broadway stuff, and I, maybe he and that was really he, good. I he saw probably him knows in how New to, York. yeah, he, yeah. He can, and that was really he good. learned how to use his voice more yeah. as an instrument. But well, that and that, I mean, he. But also, the vocal is you know pretty much the most important thing on a, on on a record. Yeah. So you you get maybe more into it than. Is actually necessary, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, you, I guess you start laboring over it a lot. Yeah. But, uh, but at, when I listen to, especially the first two albums, it's just like, man. I mean, I, regardless. I mean, of course, it had to have taken work because listen to what the end result was. I oh, mean, for like, sure. it was not just a typical somebody just throwing some lines out there on a microphone. Mm-mm. What he was attempting to do was mm-hmm. really difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's always a mood thing. You know, I yeah. had to put him in a certain mood yeah. to, to sing certain songs. Right. In the darkened room, he was actually crying when he sang it. Really? You know, and, and um, that's the whole wow. thing. We're selling yeah. emotions. And, and, you know, those emotions that you have in there when you're doing it, mm-hmm. that's what the people are hearing on the record. Right, yeah. You know, if you're bored and, and you know, you've got neon lights going on in there, then then that's what the record's going to sound like. Yeah, you know? I guess you start to put yourself in a mental headspace that you're in front of a crowd of people. Yeah, and you look yeah. at the lyrics and you go, look at what you're saying, man. Yeah. Look at what you're stuff. saying, you mm-hmm. know, about this guy in the darkened room. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and... and now feel that. Put yourself into that room. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and his, awesome. he's... Um, wow. You know, as difficult as... You know, I'm sure Rachel and Snake, they've said it in plenty of interviews of how difficult he could be to corral at times. And, you know, he he could be bullheaded. But I think as as far as just music goes, he... He never lost what you all, what all of us have when we're 12 years old as right. a music fan. Right. To Absolutely. this day, he still has every bit as much passion for that stuff as he did when yeah. he was a kid. Right. 
And that's what, I mean, it's also, I guess that's what made him so great, and it's also what makes him yep. so hard to deal with at the same right. time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, got, he's got a very strong opinion, and, and he's very tall. He's, his arms are oh, he's everywhere, <laughs> and, and he's very loud. Yeah. You know? So, uh, um, and and it was, it was always like a, you always had to deal with it. Yeah. You know? But he also, on the other hand, I kind of was his dad. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and he trusted me when I told him dude you got to do it this way and yeah. do that and and then you'll see it works and it worked on the right first record yeah. so on the second record I had a lot more trust from him yeah. already yeah you know? what you know so the the work relationship was was actually really good yeah that's good so the when the during the recording of this I mean is there a lot of uh, personal time to like just hang out and talk about life in general or is it when you go in that studio you're working and that's it you can't talk much when you're drinking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it we went yeah. down we went to the button south yeah. and we had a jack and coke and then yeah and that was it yeah. i hung out with other people there was a concert and right. but yeah i mean to the day um the, the rift between the two parties, let's call it right. that, is a little weird. But Rachel and I were still great friends, mm-hmm. you know. And he's here, we hang out, and and same with Snake, same with Scotty. I don't see them that much anymore because they're all over the world, right? You right. know, and I'm and I'm in here. Mm-hmm. But if we get together, like Nam Show or something like yeah. that, yeah, it's like really cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, we have a lot of history together. Well, you form yeah. real relationships with those people. Yeah, yeah, because you have to. You have to become a member of the band yeah, in order to understand time. what's going on. Right, and to deliver know? the the product that we're talking about today. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, and then when well, while you were making it, did I mean, did everyone have a, a pretty positive feeling of you know that this one's going to be a big album? We or, had to. Yeah. We had to. We had to think. Yeah, this is going to be the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. You know, and it felt like that all mm-hmm. the way through. We were very happy with the album when it was done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and go. I think we did it. Mm-hmm. And then it came out, and in the first week it went to number, number one. one. Yeah. From zero to one. First heavy and metal you don't want to hear that phone call I got from Sebastian. The phone was like two feet, <laughs> two feet away, and I, it was still too loud. Yeah, you know? he enjoyed it, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, it went from zero to one, which was the first time in history. Well, that's a big deal yeah. for you. I mean, you yeah. must have been over the moon about it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, you know, and and then you feel. Yeah, we did something right. Yeah, you know, so that's great. Um, that's 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 a good because if you're a producer, you never know if you do something right. Yeah. There's no book about it. Right you know, until you know, the because every situation is different. Yeah. So in that case, oh yeah, it worked. That was really good. So right. people like what we did. So yeah. in reference to when we interviewed interviewed you last time, this this one went right, making up for your decision to uh, not take points on the Look What the Cat Dragged In album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on Ooh. Master Puppets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my favorite little tidbit from our last interview yeah. with you. Was, I was like, but, oh, yeah. a few but I don't blame you. Is that, the, is that the most satisfying moment of your career? Was Skid Row Slave to the Grind hitting number one? No. No? Every no. record I do is, is satisfying to Yeah. Me. Otherwise, yeah. it wouldn't walk out of here. Um, so, Riot Act, one of the high points of the album. And then Mud Kicker, um, track 11. That's it. It's probably yeah. the heaviest yeah. riff on yeah. the album. Love it. Yeah. Almost sludgy sounding. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you said it right there. Yeah. It's called Mud Kicker. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's a detuned, you know, yeah. just heavy. And and Sebastian had a big hand in that as far as I remember. Yeah. Dude, mud kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that, that sounds the title like over Sebastian. Mud kicker sounds like something like him. And he probably repeated yeah. the title over and over yeah. again, yeah. That's it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Savage. Animal. Did you get to see the supergroup show that he was on, the reality show that he did with Ted Nugent? Ted Nugent. Uh, oh, I like, caught like he, ten minutes of it or something like that. Yeah, it, it's you should watch it. It's entertaining. I, I caught an episode <laughs> where they're all crying, or he yeah, was crying. He was crying. Like the doc about the whole. Oh yeah, yeah. They like hashed out their differences apparently. Yeah. yeah. That's all I saw. And like, I don't watch that much, or I don't listen that much to music, or yeah, you know, because I'm owe that to the people I'm working with. Right. Yeah. My mind has to be in their stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, Mud Kicker, man. That's a, you know, in comparison, especially to the first album, that's like. Sounds like a different band almost, yeah. you know. It sounds almost Pantera. Yeah. yeah, and they were hanging out. And that with was a those big guys. influence for, yeah. for them, you know. That that stuff, especially for Sebastian, Pantera was a big influence. He loved he loved that band, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I heard the story where he was at a party and somebody brought in the Cowboys from Hell or put in the Cowboys from Hell cassette, and that's when he first heard of them, and then they you know. Uh, and he was the one that know. wanted to take them on tour. Yeah, yeah. Their first big yeah. tour, it was all Sebastian. It's an interesting. Fell well, in love with that. So I'm getting kind of the impression that, you know, because, um, like, a lot of people from the outside view it as, like, oh, Rachel and Snake were running the band, but... Sounds Pretty like, much where? But on this album, it sounds like Sebastian did have some decent input on it. He, has, he had some input on it. Yeah. yeah, let's put it that way. Rachel and Snake still ran the whole thing, wrote most of the stuff, right. if not all of the stuff, and but there was some some uh, uh, influence from from the other guys as well. Right. I suppose it's different. And you know, the... Scotty is is a, a brilliant guitar player. Yeah. So if he's on the song or not, he definitely had an influence on it. Sure. You yeah. know, by his playing and and I, I, Scotty is one of my favorite guitar players. Mm-hmm. You know. I love his solos on the first album. I just like amazing. So it's not like Snake was telling him play this and play that. No, 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 no. It was like, okay, here's the song, here's the chord progression, learn it, and then the way it was played, that was up to them. Yeah, it was up to Rob and and Rachel and and Scotty and Snake to, you know, interpret it. Obviously, the two guitars had to be kind of, you know, and we did that in in pre-production. Right. You know, sometimes in rehearsal, one guitar is over there, the other guitar is over there. They don't hear each other. Oh, really? And you come together and pre work You know, are you playing the same song? <laughs> you know, so it had to be it had to be adjusted here and there. Yeah. But but the basic basic thing was there. So the, was Scotty mostly playing a Les Paul through this? No, this he was playing whatever that brown guitar is that ESP. has to pick up. Was it ESP? Yeah, ESP. I think so. Because that has the pickup tape with duct tape, and, and yeah, was, that was, was his main guitar. Because that has that double solo on Mud Kicker is really cool. The, yeah, where they, they, they come together and do that dual lead. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I can't even remember him playing Les Paul. Maybe, maybe to me, it's not, it probably wasn't ESP, but you, yeah. Billy here would know better than. But me. you know, any any guitar that Scotty had was heavily modified. Right. Heavily modified. You know, his own pickups and, yeah. and electronics, and and you know, he worked on it all the time. They always looked like you just pulled them out of the mud. Yeah. You know? Wow. But I still, I think he still has that guitar. And he still plays it live. Really. Yeah. Mm. 
I suppose when you're doing stuff like that, it's, it becomes a one of a kind almost, where you, like everything's yeah. too just you That's know, don't it. touch it. You need a certain guitar to find that sound. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep using that guitar if you want to keep that sound. Not necessarily, because a lot of the sound comes out of your fingers. Yeah, you know, yeah. I had people people with a certain setup in the studio, and it sounded amazing. And the next guy played the same guitar on the same setup, it sounded like shit. Oh really? You know, and then the next guy played and it sounded amazing again. So it's it's to me it's almost ninety percent comes out of fingers. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Like so we use we used the ADA. Yeah. See it's still on number forty five. Uh-huh. That's the the preset we had on Skid Row, White Lion and and uh, Extreme. Yeah. And they sound nothing alike. Nothing alike. No. You know? Same microphone, same cabinet. Different guitar, different stu- uh, player, and that was So it. if I plug into that, I'm not going to sound like Nuno Bedencourt? No. Come on, man. I just profiled that on, uh, on the Kemper. I profiled all my M's on the Kemper, yeah, uh, which is up for sale, and that one's in there. Huh. With a, with a uh, Furman EQ in front of it. Well, before we get into the last song, Waste of Time, let's talk a little bit about Beggar's Day, which was on the clean version of the album. Beggar's Day was uh, one of the extra songs. Right. You know, we would, like I said, we would whittle it down to 15 songs, mm-hmm. and then if we wanted 10 or 11 on the album, we'd do two more. One would be, like, Just In Case, and one would be back then for Japan, because they always wanted an extra song. Right. So the kid, because the record and CD in Japan was 24 bucks. So the kids in Japan would order their records from America, but then they didn't have that extra song on it. Right. You know, so uh, um, that was the whole system back then. Yeah, so we would do that. always an extra song for Japan, and then one more that we had in the back for maybe something else, for a B-side or something like that. Right. Dagestay was one of those songs. on that were they drawing from Paperback Writer on that because it sounds like Paperback Writer by the no Beatles. I think wasn't that about the dogs yeah it was about the dogs Pablo's dogs or something like that well lyrically yeah but yeah. I like the, but the guitar riff sounds like Paperback Writer I don't know you don't know I don't know I, that might have been an influence yeah. but definitely not knowingly you know well, I also love that it. it's it's up tempo on the on the verses and then but then it slows down and grooves yeah. on the chorus yeah, yeah. I like that but, yeah, it's very I mean, cool. all the music you hear as yeah. a musician is influencing what you write. Yeah. You know, but I don't think anybody went and, and, and said, okay, let's do Paperback Writer. Well, no, no. It. But they may have been listening to the Beatles around that time or something, and yeah. they just bled through into I think Rachel listened, listened to the Ramones more than. Right. Yeah, he was <laughs> a big Beatles. punk rock guy. You know? So, on uh, track 12, Wasted Time, Sebastian Bach has gone on record saying that that they wrote this song about Steven Adler. Yes, I think that's true. And um, so I'm guessing they were super close with him and uh, were concerned about where he was going at the time. Yeah. Because he bad is- issue with heroin. Yeah. And it, yeah, because if you get into the, to the lyrics of that song, it's uh, it's heavy stuff. Yeah. And um, 
But yeah, I think this is one of the best. I, I, I struggle to even call it a ballad. It's just one of the better songs that I've heard right. out of a, a rock band. Well, you know, just based on the tempo, and, and it's, it's a ballad. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, um, it's a ballad, and, and, you know, that was the strength of Skid Row. They wrote some lyrics that really meant something. party time and right. it was in there but there was really some meaning and some you know that out of their life experience like yeah. with Steven that would have been out of their life experience right you know? I always think that Skid Row kind of unfairly gets lumped in with a lot of other bands like Motley Crue and Poison and you know because other bands of that were hair kind of, because of the yeah, hair yeah. but I mean Skid Row is I mean by testament of this album so much more heavier of a band than a lot of their contemporaries at the time, you know, where they were, yeah, and they could run with Pantera, but were also kind of lumped in with some of these other like glam rock yeah. hair bands. Yeah, you know, and, it's and, not right. You know, it's, it's just their style. Yeah, you know, but from the quality of the lyric writing and the quality of the songs, they were always really, really good. Yeah, Skid Row yeah. was always really, really good, and they is good in different ways. With Poison, they had their party songs, right. which is good for a lot of stuff. Sure. You know, people loved it, and they sure. obviously sold a lot of records, mm-hmm. and and that's that's a way to go. But they add to me, they added some value. The lyrics added some value to their songs. Yeah, you know, definitely. And that, but like uh, this song in particular, um, well, the whole album, I tip my hat to you. But on this song, especially the mix is, I think, just perfect on this. Song. Oh, cool, thanks. It's just mixed amazingly. The solo on is it is it uh, Dave playing the solo on this one? I don't know. I can't remember. But like, there's like he hits notes that are like almost atonal on it. Like it's a it's kind of an out of the box guitar solo. Probably Scotty. Yeah, because there's like I, I think it's Scotty, but I'm not. I I don't want to swear by it. But it's not your color by numbers rock ballad. And yeah. Especially because no. because it goes to this bridge part at the end of the song. You know, I never thought and it you'd goes let from it, get it goes from minor to major. Yeah, it's. Yeah. It, it's written so differently than a lot of the songs from mm-hmm. back in those days, and uh, it's you listen to it now and it still sounds completely fresh. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't sound. You won't listen to that and say that sounds like 1991. It's, right. It just no. it has its own sound to it. I think that song is a super. It's one of the super high points of the whole record. I really mm-hmm. do. 
And I mean, I think you guys probably must have known that it was a pretty special song when you were putting it together. Well, you think that about everything you record. Yeah, I guess so. You know, yeah. unless you wouldn't record it. Oh, you yeah. know, then then if you don't think this is this is an amazing piece of art, then you wouldn't record it. Right. You know, um, the, the deal was okay. Well, we have eight good songs. Well, then write some more right. till we can make ten good songs or twelve. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not all, okay, yeah, we filled those two songs up with something that we don't really care about. Mm -hmm. There was never a song that we didn't care about. Right. You know, ever. And in, in, in that time, mm -hmm. you know, and, and nowadays uh, it's down to like, okay, we do four songs. Yeah, because we can't write ten good ones, right? You know, and that's okay because you're just releasing them as you're singles. Only sell one right. at a time yeah. anyway. Right. If you sell it, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But I mean, how often do you uh, sit back and listen to this? Oh, rarely. Rarely. This yeah. is probably the first time I've heard that in Great maybe show. ten years. Oh, really? Yeah. Basically, what we've been trying to talk to you about today is uh, is slave to the grind, you know, because like I said, we we all consider this to be a great masterpiece, you know, as well as so many of the albums that you've worked on over the years, and you know that that makes me happy, you know, that we can come back here and do this again and again and again and just talk about different albums every time, mm -hmm. you know, maybe next time do it at a sushi bar. Oh, we can, yeah. we can do that. Do you guys have lunch yet? <laughs> you want to grab some lunch? Sure, because I'm about. Yeah, I'm about ready to eat something. Yeah, we can yeah. do that. So we'll continue it over the over sushi. But yeah. uh, but overall, I mean, your 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 good memories of, of making this one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have, with the exception of maybe one or two projects, you know, I basically have really good memories of everything I've done. Yeah. And and uh, Skid Row stands out because. Like I said, the guys were just crazy in a good way, mm -hmm. very funny, yeah. you know, and and in a way that I could, I could, uh, it was my kind of humor, right? Yeah. You know, we right. had a great time, and that made it all, all very easy. We worked long hours, man. We worked yeah. like you know, twelve, fifteen, eighteen hours sometimes, just because it was so expensive to do it, and and it was my thing to keep it in budget you mm -hmm. know but they also were very well prepared in pre-production it was uh, you know everybody knew their parts everybody was contributing everyone was eager to play their parts right and yeah. and uh so it was a lot of fun doing yeah well I, I studio is no more i think the one in florida yeah i don't know extreme sure. went there and did uh, three sides to every story oh they did yeah yeah, I and, and interview with that producer talking about that. Yeah, I, I, I think the studio is no more. Well, too many of them are going away. Oh, people got to stop recording in their living rooms. Yeah, so. like me. <laughs> Your living nice, room is a much nice nicer living room. Than yeah, yeah. it's a nice stereo. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. A few but, few more buttons than I have. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for your time for doing this. Sure, I appreciate it. Yeah, sure.
Man, that guy is the coolest. He is. We're we're totally blessed to, to have become friends with him, and yeah. we hope he'll have us out again. I uh, I already hit him up when we went out to sushi afterwards, and like, so what album do you want to do next? And yeah. that's a secret. Yeah, we won't we won't let the cat out of the but bag. But he on did that have a couple suggestions. Yeah, I mean, damn, look at his discography. Look at all the albums oh. he's had a hand in making. Awesome, you know, there's so many to yeah. choose from, but. Yeah, we're definitely going to be getting back together with Michael Wagner for yeah. more albums unleashed in the future. I said uh, this time what I said last time I went to a studio. I'm moving in. He yeah. won't let me, though, but I try. No, he won't let none of us move Although in. Although Billy did a great job at getting him to start going through tapes and I stuff. Think Billy Hardaway's living there now. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> He'll get further with him than we did. But, yeah, I want to thank Michael Wagner again. And uh, links to his projects and his studio will be in the show notes for this episode. Want to thank him for that. Go to Amazon, purchase Slave to the Grind, purchase Skid Row albums, purchase yep. stuff Michael's worked on. Links to all that stuff will be in the show notes. There's plenty of it, and it's all kick-ass. And because guys, hell, it's Michael Wagner. Absolutely. And guys, haven't had a haven't had enough iTunes reviews lately. Go on iTunes and leave us a review. We need to get that up some. Don't be slacking on that. You know, I know it's kind of a pain in the ass, but it means so much to us. Yeah. And when you do it and you're done and you hit enter, you can know that you're making us smile and feel good. And I'm going to start reading some of the reviews on the show. Maybe that will help push you guys. There you go. We need the help. Yeah, because <laughs> there's some damn good ones on there now. So another album's unleashed in the book. We're going to do more throughout the year. And uh, we'll be back next week with something new. Yeah, we will. See you then. Oh, wow, man.